This morning we arrive at verse 11 of the Lord's Prayer. And if you've been with us since we started this series, Jesus models for us actually how we should move through our prayers. There's a logical flow to how he prays in this passage. So he begins with praising God simply for being who he is, praising him for his holiness. Then he prays for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. So Jesus is showing us that while the prayers that we bring before him on behalf of others or ourselves is important, we want to start with focusing on who God is himself. But as we get to verse 11, we shift from praising God for who He is and His attributes and praying for His will to be done and His kingdom to come, now we shift into the prayers that we pray on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of others. But one of the privileges of prayer is that we can intercede for our other brothers and sisters in Christ and that we can go to the Lord with our own requests. And that is exactly what verse 11 introduces us to when Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, as we unpack this verse, two points today, not three, two. You're very excited. The source of provision, number one, and then number two, the substance of provision. The source of provision and then the substance of of provision. Number one, the source of our provision. The verse begins by making it very clear that God is the source of our provision. In the Western world, we have this tendency to believe that we are the ones responsible for our successes or our failures. There's a sense in which it's our work ethic, it's our motivation. It's our connection with others that determines whether or not we have success or we have failure. To an extent, that is true. No one is advocating be lazy and don't be motivated. But ultimately, the successes that we have is because God provides for His children. But the danger for us is to consume ourselves with all of the attributes that we think makes one successful at the expense of remembering where that success ultimately comes from. When we fall into that trap, which we're all guilty of, we run the risk of ignoring the true source of our provision. The verb that is used here in verse 11, give, it's in the imperative tense. That means Jesus is not asking God... He's telling God. He is pleading with God, begging Him, commanding Him, God, give us today our daily bread. There is a sense in this verb tense that Jesus is desperate to ensure that His Father would provide daily bread. The questions for us to consider are, number one, do we realize that God is the source of our provision? And then number two, are we desperate for his provision. When you get your paycheck, does it even cross your mind that God is actually the one who has provided you that paycheck? Or do you simply view it as a reward for your hard work? 
when you go to the grocery store, especially in America, there's not just one choice, there's a thousand choices. How do I know this? I eat oatmeal every morning because my cholesterol is borderline. So I want to try to keep that down. So I go to the store and I pick out oatmeal. Here are the options that I can choose from. You ready for this? This will blow your mind. Classic oatmeal, high fiber oatmeal, protein oatmeal, fiber and protein oatmeal, organic oatmeal, gluten-free oatmeal, and low-sugar oatmeal. That's seven, not flavors, that's seven categories of one flavor of oatmeal that I can choose from when I go to the store. That's overwhelming. Now, I, I, just so you know, I like the classic, in case you were wondering. But there's so many different types for us to choose from. When we go to Walmart to get groceries, if they don't have what we need... We can go to Sam's. And if Sam's doesn't have it, we can go to Publix. And if Publix doesn't have it, we can go to Winn-Dixie. And if Winn-Dixie doesn't have it, we can go to Piggly Wiggly. I could keep going, but do you get the point? There are varieties and varieties of choices that we in the West are really privileged to have. It's not that way everywhere else. We have Dollar General, Dollar Tree, and Family Dollar. And if you want to go up a notch and be, you know, a big spender, we have dirt cheap and five below. We have a ton of choices. By the way, these abundant amount of choices that we have are for our, our wants, not our needs. There's a big difference. And we're going to talk about what that means in this passage in just a moment. We all... Maybe we failed, but we all learned at some point from our parents or our grandparents or our teachers the difference between a want and a need. Jesus is modeling in this passage praying for needs, not wants. And we have biblical precedent for this very thing. God taught the Israelites the importance of this lesson in the Old Testament. When he provided manna and quail. If you want to go to Exodus chapter 16, we're going to read some excerpts from that. We're going to begin in verse 2, Exodus chapter 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the hand of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, 
when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him? What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Now jump down to verse 13 of that same chapter. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. This is God's provision for his people in the wilderness. But he gave them very specific instructions about how they were to collect the manna. Early in the morning, he said, go out and gather it, because when the sun warmed up, it was going to melt. They were supposed to gather enough for two days on Friday. Why would they do that? To ensure that they could still rest on the Sabbath. And they were not supposed to collect any leftovers. No Tupperwares were to be found in the nation of Israel. Because if they kept extra, it immediately spoiled and went bad and bred worms. When you're desperate for your needs to be met, your wants really don't even play a factor. This is where Israel was. Quail and manna were not The delicacies in Israel, like milk and honey, is often talked about when in reference to the promised land. But they were hungry, and God gave them what they needed in those moments. When you're thirsty, I don't know about you, but when I'm thirsty, I don't care if it's Dasani, Aquafina, Fiji, Nestle Pure Life, Evian, Smart Water, Filtered Water, or Tap Water. I want water. And as long as it's not brown, I'm going to drink it. God will give us what we need in those particular moments. By the way, if you have a favorite bottled water brand, I'd love to talk with you about that because I do as well. But for the purpose of this illustration, water is water. Okay. And by the way, those bottles that say spring water, it's a lie. It's coming from the water plant, guarantee it. God will give us what we need in those moments. In the example of manna, it was just enough for one day. The challenge is for us is that we rarely think one day at a time. We've got our calendars blocked off weeks and months in advance. Some of you started preparing your Thanksgiving meal a month ago. 
You've probably already gone to the store and begun collecting items. You have planned trips, holiday get-togethers, meetings far in advance. We don't think a day at a time for the most part. There's nothing wrong with being a planner. But the reality of Scripture reminds us to think about today. James tells us in his epistle in chapter 4, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Jesus says something similar later in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 34, when he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, we're not trained this way. Biblically, we should be, but we're not. We think well in advance, so this is not going to be an overnight fix for us. But the more we live a day at a time, you know why that matters? Because it increases our sufficiency on God himself. And when we think out, and when we plan out, and I'm not saying you can't plan, please don't hear me say that, But when our minds are constantly thinking about the future, it actually increases self-sufficiency and decreases our sufficiency on God himself. As you go about your day, as I go about my day, how often are we really dependent day to day on God? The food that you eat, the clothes that you wear, the job that you have, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, all of these come from the true source of our provision, God himself. Number two, this passage also teaches us the substance of provision. The Greek of this verse in Matthew is a little tricky. In fact, it can be translated a number of different ways. Some translations actually have it as, give us today our bread for tomorrow. Some translations have it as, give us each day our daily bread. Either way, the point is, Jesus is praying here for needs that need to be met sooner rather than later. Rather that, whether that's today or tomorrow, the specific need that Jesus requests in this passage is that of bread. One of the most basic food items. He is modeling for us, praying for the basic everyday needs of life. Now, I went through a time early on in my walk with the Lord where I thought that God actually was not concerned about the day-to-day. I used to kind of laugh and maybe even look down on people who prayed for parking spaces at the grocery store or who prayed for God to find their wallet or their phone. And then I realized as I matured that I was wrong, that God does care about our everyday needs. I thought those prayers were trivial and too self-centered and the God of the universe, he doesn't really have time to to devote to the needs of petty people like us until I realize we're all petty. 
We all are in desperate need of God. Thankfully, by the grace of God and studying his word more, I now realize that God delights to hear from his children about the daily needs of life. Praying for daily needs is another way that we increase our dependency on God. When we take the daily needs for granted, or we believe that we are really all that matters for those things to be done, we increase self-sufficiency and we decrease sufficiency on God. We already know that He is the source of our needs, but in the first century, people got paid by the day. And that money was then used to go and buy food for their family. So when Jesus prays her, give us this day our daily bread, first century Rome, the Jewish people are working just to get enough pay for one day so that they could go and provide bread and food for their family. They literally lived one day at a time. When Ashley and I moved to New Orleans shortly after we got married, this would have been June of 2009, we were living off love and wedding presents. Neither one of us had jobs. And we were on the third floor of this apartment complex. And we would get up in the morning and we would go drive around and hand our resumes to different people, different companies. And then we would come home and like watch TV the rest of the day. Those were glorious days. Glorious days. Well, we were desperate for cash. Because eventually, and I think maybe Bed Bath & Beyond has now changed their policy. But back in my day, you could take wedding presents back and exchange them for cash. It was like an ATM the whole month of June. We don't really need these dishes. Cash. What am I ever going to use this cake mixer for? Cash. Right? So we went. And we got to the point where we run out of gifts to exchange. So I went and I met this guy at the church that we had started attending. And he worked for FedEx. And he said, if you come, I can get you a job with FedEx. And I was like, great, we need money. So I went to the FedEx facility, and I unloaded the 18-wheelers into the delivery trucks that went out every morning, and it was a horrible job. I had to get there at like 3.30 every morning. I set my alarm for like 2.45 a.m. You don't get used to that. And I would unload those trucks from about 3.30 in the morning to 7 or 7.30 in the morning. But here's why I took that job, because I got paid Every Friday, not every two weeks, not twice a month, every single Friday, I came home with a paycheck. Now, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was what we needed in those moments until the sugar mama got her full-time job and really began providing for us. No, God is praying in this prayer, Jesus is praying in this prayer, the basic needs of life. God, give us these things. Now, bread, in case you didn't realize it, is not a luxury. This is not a prayer to pray for the luxuries of life. J.I. Packer, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, says, this petition that Jesus models here does not sanctify greed. God is under no obligation to give you everything that you want. The goal of the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is not the big house. It's not the fancy car. It's not the big retirement account. It's not the lake house. It's not the beach house. 
we have to be careful when we pray this prayer that we realize this is a prayer for the basic needs of God's people to be met. Not to increase our love for the material things of this world. Now I realize everyone in this room, we are immediately the most wealthy people in the world. We represent, as I always say, the wealthiest 1% of people on this planet. That automatically means, compared to many of our other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, that we live lives of luxury. Even if you don't think you do, compared to our brothers and sisters all around the world, we live lives of luxury. We have more wants than any other group of people on the planet. And the temptation for more stuff is prevalent for us as Americans more than any other place in the world. So we have to wrestle with that tension in light of these verses. One of the best analogies that has often helped me through the years to think through how I steward my financial resources comes from John Piper's short little book called Don't Waste Your Life. And in that book, he challenges Christians to think about living what he calls a Christian wartime lifestyle. What does that mean? Think about it for a moment. Well, I wasn't around during World War I or World War II. But during World War I and World War II especially, people sacrificed. They, they did not go with the luxuries. They did the basic needs only. There's one story during World War II. There was a basketball game, women's basketball game, taking place at Northwestern University. In the middle of the game, the referees blew the whistle, and the players from both teams got on their hands and knees looking for a bobby pin. That's a wartime lifestyle. Ralph Winter, he's the founder of the U.S. Center for World Missions, and he's an advocate for the unreached. He gives this vivid illustration on the difference between wartime and peacetime mentalities. He says, The Queen Mary lying in repose in the harbor at Long Beach, California, is a fascinating museum of the past, used both as a luxury liner in peacetime and a troop transport during the Second World War. Its present status as a museum is the length of three football fields, and it affords a stunning contrast between the lifestyles appropriate in peace and in war. On one side of a partition, you see the dining room reconstructed to depict the peacetime table setting that was appropriate to the wealthy patrons of high culture for whom a dazzling array of knives and forks and spoons held no mysteries. But on the other side, he said, the evidences of wartime austerities are in sharp contrast. One metal tray with indentations replaces 15 plates and saucers, bunks, not just double but eight tiers high, explain why the peacetime complement of 3,000 gave way to 15,000 people on board in wartime. How repugnant to the peacetime masters this transformation must have been to do it, it took a national emergency. The survival of a nation depended on it. The essence of the Great Commission today is that the survival of many millions of people depends on its fulfillment. 
Piper goes on to say, in wartime, we ask different questions about what to do with our lives than we do in peacetime. We ask, what can I do to advance the cause? What can I do to bring victory? What sacrifice can I make? Or what risk can I take to ensure the joy of triumph? But in peacetime, we tend to ask, what can I do to be more comfortable, to have more fun, to avoid trouble, and possibly avoid sin? If we were to live as if war was happening in our midst, what could we do to advance the cause of the gospel amongst the unreached? What could we do to bring victory in Christ to those who are dying an eternal hell because they do not know Jesus? What sacrifice could we make personally to ensure that instead of the money that we have being spent on ourselves, it is being exhausted for the unreached, for missionaries all around the world to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel, to ensure that Bibles can be translated into languages so that people can read them. As Jesus provides for our physical needs in this passage, what if God motivated us to exhaust our bank accounts, our homes, and our lives for the glory of God among the nations. The substance of provision in this prayer is physical in nature. But the far more important provision that Jesus offers is spiritual. John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. While God provides for our physical needs, He provided for our spiritual needs as well. And he did this through the sending of his only son into the world to live the perfect life that you and I are incapable of living because of our sin. Only one person lived the perfect life, Jesus of Nazareth. 1 Peter 2 tells us, He, that is Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. What does this verse communicate? The beautiful truth of what we call double imputation. That is, on the cross, our sin was transferred to Christ and His righteousness was transferred to us. R.C. Sproul says it like this, At the heart of the gospel is a double imputation. My sin is imputed to Jesus. His righteousness is imputed to me. And in this twofold transaction, we see that God, who does not negotiate sin, who doesn't compromise his own integrity with our salvation, but rather punishes sin fully, 
and really after it has been imputed to Jesus, retains his own righteousness. This is the message of the gospel. This is living bread. Tim Keller says, the gospel is that you are so lost and so flawed and so sinful that Jesus had to die for you, but you were also so loved and so valued that Jesus was glad to die for you. That's the beauty of the spiritual bread that Christ offers. Let us never forget, brothers and sisters, we will die. The physical provisions will come to an end. And if you are in Christ this morning as we leave, let me encourage you to rejoice in the spiritual bread that you have in Christ. And if you are not a Christian today, turn from your sin Receive the righteousness of God and you will never hunger or thirst again. Let's pray. God, we are so blessed in this place, in this country, to have the the needs met. Not just our needs, but our wants Father, this text must challenge us to steward our resources well for your glory. We thank you that you truly are the bread of life so that any that repent of their sin and believe in faith, they will never hunger or thirst again. We give you praise today for your faithfulness to us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.